Let's get to it. Don't forget this Friday night, Prophecy Update. So we'll, we'll be here in the sanctuary ready for that. That'll be always a good time. And Lord willing, we're gonna wrap up the Sermon on the Mount, which I even almost feel weird saying that because we haven't even barely scratched the surface on the Sermon on the Mount. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, this is such a powerful sermon. Uh, like I said, said before, you really could spend a whole lifetime studying uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but we, we don't have a whole lifetime to study through the Bible, so we're, we're trying to keep a pace here. So uh, good stuff. Matthew chapter seven, if you'd turn there. We've seen kind of, you know, so far the Sermon on the Mount, chapter five, um, I notice, you know, all these are red letters. So this is a big, the biggest oration in all the scriptures is right here. Um, one single sermon by Jesus. Matthew chapter five was the righteousness we are to possess, um, the be attitudes, not the do attitudes, the be attitudes. And then chapter six, we saw the righteousness we are to practice. And it was practical things we can do that the Lord gave us, but, but specifically our relationship you know, toward uh, or with God um, is chapter six. And then in chapter seven, as we picked it up um, the past few weeks, it's our relationship with others, how we treat others. And uh, we've, we've kind of seen even about the beginning of chapter seven last week, we were talking about, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. And we talked about um, good judging versus bad judging. And there is such a thing. So when people just say, don't judge, don't judge, you can say, well, you gotta kind of be careful with that one. Um, there are places and things we are to judge. Um, but the idea is we're not supposed to judge to condemnation, um, but we are to judge to identification. We'll, we'll visit that again tonight um, because it's all part of the same chapter and we'll see that. But, um, you know, as we continue just through the whole Bible, we believe every single word is inspired by God. Every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible inspired. And, uh, and that's why we love to just read these passages. You know, these words are perfect. Um, there's nothing lacking in them. There's nothing that uh, is wrong about them. And I love just the solidity of what the Bible has to say. And last Sunday, we uh, saw the narrow path that Jesus talked about. Narrow is the way that leads to life, while at the same time, broad is the way, wide is the path that leads, the gate that leads to destruction. And I'd like to kind of revisit that just a little bit as we back up to verse 13. Let's start in verse 13 today. It says, enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat, or which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So, um, you know, this, this one way to heaven, the narrow way, uh, and how people don't like that. People balk against this biblical notion of one way. Um, but really, um, as narrow as it is, I'm so thankful the Bible doesn't just kind of leave us hanging on one tiny little shred of truth that narrows the way. The Bible gives us the whole story. Um, you know, it's not narrow information, it's just narrow direction. Um, I love that from the beginning, from Genesis 1-1 all the way through Revelation, um, it all supports this narrow path. And it, if you read the whole Bible and make a study of the Bible, the narrow path makes more and more sense the further you go through it. And that's one of the things I love about studying verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. I love that part of it. Um, but as we, as we kind of see this, um, you know, one way we saw on Sunday that uh, that's for simplicity, for humanity. 
and we saw that it's not God to me. God to me is not reality. We saw how people making stuff up as they go. There's not many paths that lead to eternity, heaven, God, uh, up the mountain, whatever people are saying. There's only one path, one correct way. And, and one of the things we talked about on Sunday is Satan is the deceiver. He's the counterfeiter. He's, he's, if there's one way, he's gonna make 10 ways. If there's 15 ways, he'll make 15,000 ways. Um, and it's interesting. One thing that I didn't really talk much about is um, this idea of the gate. It's not just a, a path or a road. It is that, the way that's talked about here. Um, and by the way, the early church, do you remember what they called themselves? The way. Uh, they didn't call themselves Christians. That was actually the, the first people that were called Christians were, the, you know, the, in, it was an insult to the early church. You're like, you, you guys are, li-, that's what word Christian means is little Christs. And they meant it derogatorily. You guys are a bunch of little Christs. And you know what the church said? Cool. It's like, that's what we want to be. Like, have you ever, have you ever seen that where somebody's meaning an insult and you're kind of like, oh, thank you. You know, it's, it's like, that's what the church did. You little Christ. And everybody's like, that's all we want to be. It's just like Jesus, you know, be little Christ. Cause we'll never be as big as Jesus. But if we can be little miniature versions of Jesus, that's all we would ever want to do or be. So the word Christian did stick. But before we were Christians, we were called the way, as the Bible tells us. And the reason really why is because Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father, but by me. But not only is it the pathway, but I wanna just show you something here that we didn't really talk about on Sunday. He also talked about the gate itself. Um, We do know that there seems to be gates of heaven and there's gates of hell. We know that, right? Bible talks about those gates in both different, you know, I should say different contexts, the Bible, the gates, and there's jokes about the pearly gates of heaven and stuff like that. Um, And we don't know much about those gates as much as we know about the gates of hell we know that um, the gates of hell will not stand against Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus talked about that with his disciples. Uh, they won't prevail against uh, Jesus and his church. Praise the Lord for that. But um, this idea of the gate, one thing I wanna kind of throw out for you to think about is this idea of the gate, the, of the narrow path. I'm gonna say that gate itself is Jesus. It's amazing how many things really point to and personify Jesus. You know, it's, it's all about Jesus. Um, there's pictures. You know, we could go on and on in the Bible about the types of Jesus, the rock that water gushed out in the desert in the, in the book, books, you know, of the Pentateuch. Uh, that was Jesus. The rock that followed them was Christ. The tabernacle was Jesus. The, a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. The tabernacle, the, a study of the Old Testament tabernacle like we did a few years ago. Um, so rewarding because there's so many pictures of Jesus as the person and the work that Jesus would do. It's amazing how many pictures and types there are for us to know who Jesus is. But one of those things that we know is the gate itself. Narrow is the gate. Um, and narrow gate, that's actually a good thing if, if you're a sheep. What do you mean, Brett? Well, would you keep your finger here and flip over to John chapter 10? Go with me to John chapter 10. And we're gonna see, um, we're gonna see those beautiful gates talked about here of even the narrow path. John chapter 10, verse one. And there in John chapter 10, verse one, it says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the, uh, by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth 
up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door by the shepherd of the sheep, uh, to him the porter openeth and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name and he leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And a stranger will not, will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Um, this parable uh, spake Jesus, verse six, unto them, but they understood not what things they were, which he spake to them. Verse 10, up uh, verse seven, pardon me. Then said Jesus unto them again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door if by, uh, by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. That's, that's the happy sheep going in and out by the door. And who's the door? Jesus. See, in, in the sheepfold in Bible times was usually a rock wall. Uh, they made a little, a little you know, court, barnyard area that was fully protected. But there was just a little narrow, narrow sliding door where the sheep would go in one by one. Um, and then what would happen? The shepherd would sit in the door. He became the door so that no one could go into that sheepfold except through him. Uh, and he was there to protect them, but he was also the door. And when it was time to go out to pasture, he would open his way and the sheep would come out and follow him because they knew his voice. Like this is a beautiful picture. I love Jesus as the shepherd. And the Bible says so much about Jesus as the shepherd. He's the, you know, he's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. Uh, all three descriptions are given to Jesus. But when Jesus, one of his great I am statements, Jesus made seven amazing I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the, the vine you are the branches, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, like all the I am statements, do a study of those. That's, that's a good study right there. But one of the I am's, I am the door uh, to the sheepfold. That's right here in John chapter 10. Look at verse 10. Um, verse 10 says, the thief cometh not, but for to steal, kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Um, I love this about Jesus, how Jesus is willing to be the good shepherd for us sheep. And you know, it's funny about, the thing about sheep that's so funny is, um, you know, they're, they're not super intelligent creatures. And in fact, some argue they're some among the dumbest. Oh, they're cute and cuddly. I, I've had sheep when I was a kid. We raised sheep on our little farm as I was a kid, but uh, they're, they're cute, but, but they're really dumb. Dumb as bricks, little sheep are. And I find it funny that the Lord says, yeah, all we like sheep, all you like sheep have gone astray. <laughs> we, we're just not so bright. Um, but as it turns out, when we're with Christ, you know, we're in the safety of his sheepfold and he's the good shepherd. But the interesting terminology that we're gonna kind of touch on, anybody that goes into the sheepfold, not by the way of the shepherd, um, as it turns out, that's a thief and a robber. Um, even if they look good, if they're climbing in by another way, you should know that they're a thief and a robber. Um, and, um, and so what I love about being a sheep, even though we're not so bright, we have the good shepherd, the true shepherd, Jesus, who's called the door, um, which kind of reminds me of, you know, as the narrow sheepfold, Jesus would stand in the doorway in the same way. If you are one of his sheep, 
you go in by the narrow way. It's the same kind of analogy tied into another uh, analogy of Jesus, the shepherd and the sheep. You see how it all kind of correlates? Everything in the Bible is, there's expositional constancy. That is all the pictures and types work together and fit together. Um, that makes the Bible kind of fun when you start seeing. Now, um, all that to say, uh, you know, Matthew chapter seven, back to our text, let's go back there. Um, Jesus is making that clear about um, that, that he is the way, he is the door, and there is no other way. Um, and then he's gonna go into the false, you remember how in Matthew, in, pardon me, John chapter 10, he went into the thieves and the robbers who go in by a different way. In the same way, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is now gonna go from the narrow door where he's the gate himself, he is the gate, and he's gonna get into um, um, the, the, the thieves uh, or the wolves, as they're gonna be called here. We'll get into that. But before we move forward on this, um, one of the things Jesus sort of wraps up his Sermon on the Mount is he gives us sort of a trilogy of duos. You can jot this down maybe in your notes, a trilogy of duos. What's this trilogy of duos? Well, the first duo uh, that we see here is there's two roads, verses 13 and 14, the broad way and the narrow way. So there's the, the two roads. The second uh, of the, tr the trilogy of duos is we're gonna see two trees, or I should say two kinds of trees, one tree that bears good fruit and one tree that bears bad fruit. So you got the trilogy of duos, two roads, two trees, and then thirdly, we're gonna sort of end the Sermon on the Mount with two builders, built, those that build on shaky, sandy ground, and those who have a firm foundation built upon a rock. Um, the wise builder, the dumb builder, or the shaky ground, sandy ground, or the firm foundation. So I, I like that we kind of have these, um, these duos that Jesus, the compare and contrast. Um, so we come to this, um, this sort of deal, and, and um, let's, let's start with the first one. Uh, let's talk about the two roads. That's um, what we just looked at, uh, Matthew uh, 7, verses 13 and 14. Um, you know, it's interesting because um, this two roads thing, life or destruction, oftentimes I've found that that's a pattern um, in so many things that we do. It's, it's not just in eternal life. I, I wanted to just bring up this, this idea that there's a narrow path that leads to heaven and a broad way that leads to hell, but there's also a narrow path that leads to what's good and right, and there's a, narrow, a broad path that leads to just bummers and bad things. It's like the natural flow of things often lead to troublesome things. And if you work hard, um, you know, and do good things and go the right direction. And, and even though it might be narrow and difficult, um, you'll find it to be life. I remember teaching this uh, to, remember how I was telling you about the garbage jump teaching that I gave, you know, driving the kids into the dump and stuff. Well, another teaching I gave on a boys boot camp back when kids used to be able to do things like climb mountains. Um, uh, for 14 years, I, I used to lead, uh, Tad and I led uh, uh, fourth, fifth and sixth grade boys uh, on a hike up Mount McLaughlin. Uh, and it was a climb, I think it's just over 9,000 feet when you get to the, t it's, it's a little miniature Mount Hood down there in Southern Oregon. Um, and uh, it, it's a pretty good climb, you know, it, it's a good little workout. But we would, uh, for years, we'd, every summer we'd take the boys up there. And then eventually, I think too many video games of kids just couldn't do it anymore. Like there was a point where kids just could not climb the mountain anymore. And we had to stop doing that trip. It's kind of a sad story. But, but for 14 years, every summer, I did that in a row. But one of the things I liked to do is when we were at the top, there was a, there was a great object lesson. I was always looking for the object lessons, you know. But 
when you climb Mount McLaughlin, there's an interesting you know, trail and it starts out easy and, and you know, you're on the flat area and the kids are, are we there yet? Are we almost there? I'm like, nope, not even close, you know? Uh, and then, we, then you get up where it starts getting steep, but you're still in the trees. And are we there yet? No, got a ways to go yet, you know? Um, and then they'd get really discouraged. Are we almost? And I'd say, hey, there's a McDonald's at the top and we can get a hot fed Sunday. <laughs> I, I, uh, Tad and I used to tell kids that. I don't know why. It was just funny to us, I guess. Uh, so, but um, but uh, they believed it. But um, <laughs> then you'd get out of the tree line and you'd start walking on these boulders. But then, then it was more of a climb. It was really steep. And, and there was a point in the climb where, um, where you, you had to r- hike this ridge. It's kind of the only real way to hike to the top of that mountain. If you, if you take any other way, on the, on the right side, there's just a, a sheer drop. Like if you, if you fell off, it'd be a thousand feet down. Like it was, it was breathtakingly steep and shocking. Uh, and the boys didn't like that. The other side was just a big hill of shale that, uh, you know, big three, four inch rock that was just, you know, shale. And that was fun going down that way. You'd run and jump, and then the rock would just kind of slide with you. It was kind of fun to go down the mountain that way. Uh, we'd do that, but, but it wasn't a great way to climb. So the only way to do it was kind of ride this razorback ridge up the mountain. And, um, and, and there were kids freaked out, man. And, and I'd just give them advice and say, come on, just keep climbing. Don't look down. Keep clinging to those rocks. Keep climbing. Stay on that ridge. And you know, we'd, we'd get them up eventually to the top of the mountain. And then I'd give that, that message about the, the narrow path. Um, one way leads to destruction, you know? Um, and, and how sometimes it's hard. And I said, in life, you gotta cling to the rock, Jesus Christ, and just keep on climbing. Like, it's a, it was a great object lesson for these boys. And they always felt a sense of accomplishment when they got to the top of the mountain. Um, but, but all that, I would say that for you and for me. Um, in life, you know, every day you have to make decisions. You know, hopefully you've made the ultimate decision to choose the narrow path, Jesus, to get to heaven, because he's the only way, the truth, and life. We talked about that Sunday. But I also wanna remind you that you know, sometimes we have to make daily decisions. Are we gonna take the narrow path or are we gonna take the broad way? You're at work, make a decision. Well, everybody at work, they sort of cheat on their hours and they kind of come and go when they, you know, and they're sort of ripping off the boss, but nobody really cares. Maybe the boss doesn't even care, but are you a person of integrity? Because that's the narrow path to say, you know what, I'm gonna be really careful with my time card or sheet or whatever you do. And I'm gonna be honest and a person of real integrity. Um, when I'm at work, I'm gonna really be working. Um, you know, it's, it's funny how we, we have to make little micro decisions that have to do with the life or destruction, uh, the, tr- the road that is good or bad. But all that to say, um, I do believe we have to be careful because destruction is real both eternally, but also in our lives. I've, I've noticed people make a lot of decisions, uh, myself included, but as a pastor who's counseled a lot of people, I've noticed people make just decisions that are quite destructive. And then they wonder why things are happening in their lives that are just so horrifying and bad. Well, some of those decisions we make just are wrong. Well, Brent, I like my decisions. Well, you can like your decision, but if it's a, if it's a decision that leads to destruction, don't be shocked when there's things that are be, being destroyed in your life. Um, we'll talk more about that. But all that to say, uh, the two roads. So you got two roads, that's the first thing. Then, then Jesus goes to the next sort of example of the duo of trilo- the trilogy of duos, two trees, good or bad fruit. And we pick it up in, in verse 15. There it says in verse 15, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Hmm. Um, Jesus gives a warning. Now, we're not gonna get to the two trees yet, but this is within the same 
context of, of, of the two trees. So let's talk about this. So we got the two trees um, and, and this wolves in sheep clothing. Do you, do you guys remember Aesop's fable about the wolf in sheep's clothing? Um, I think he stole that from Jesus. Jesus is the one who originally came up with that. But in Aesop's fable, there was a, um, a wolf that didn't get enough to eat because the shepherd was watching the flock too closely. And so, um, so he found an old sheepskin and put it over and he snuck in and even went in and started hanging out with the sheep. And he was, he was just getting ready to lure a little lamb away for some lamb chops when the shepherd got a taste for some mutton himself. And he thought, I'm gonna get one of the sheep and eat. And he went and killed the wolf thinking it was a sheep. Uh, it's a great story. Uh, it usually doesn't work out that way. Um, but, um, but the idea is the, the, the Lord Jesus is saying in the flock, his flock, the church, uh, the Christian church, he said, there's wolves among the sheep. And that's something we have to really watch out for. Um, now, who are these wolves uh, that, we, you know, it's interesting because I've been a Christian since I was five. So it's, it's, you know, half a century I've been a Christian, but I've watched different kinds of wolves come and go within the church. And it's really interesting to see um, how Satan sort of is subtle and the way he moves and there's still wolves in sheep clothing, but are the wolves in sheep clothing different than the ones in the 80s or in the 60s? Um, the answer is yes. Um, I remember teaching this passage, you know, back in the 80s. Uh, and I remember um, thinking about televangelists. Uh, do you remember when televangelists were on the, on the radar and finally people started realizing these guys are total wolves in sheep's clothing? Um, and we, we even came up with phrases. How do you know what a wolf is in the church? You know them by what they eat. And if they're eating the sheep or fleecing the flock or whatever, if they're taking advantage of the sheep, then that's a wolf. And so remember in the eighties, the televangelist like Benny Hinn, you know, he got busted, but you know, by, by you know, the news people or, or Robert Tilton. Remember, remember Tilton was like the worst. Uh, he was this kind of weird, I don't know why anybody would follow that guy anyway, but people liked the guy and he'd sit there and you just gotta believe God, you just gotta do it. Like he was just a weirdo, you know? <laughs> But people are like, oh, it's a thousand dollars, pray for me. And, and um, they, they just, if you were in the eighties, it was like ridiculous. Like why would anybody, but, but, but hundreds of thousands of people were sending in their thousand dollar checks. Now, I think it was 60 Minutes or one of those shows finally did a thing on him where they, they, they found all these letters that were not, the, the reason they were able to realize that till, the, the letters were, you send your prayer to me and a thousand dollar love gift and I'll pray for you. You know, and, and so these poor little old ladies just kept sending thousand dollars with their sweet letters and everything. Well, 60 Minutes found all their letters. The letters didn't even get to the church. The letters were delivered. And then from the mailbox, they went right to the bank where the bank opened the letters uh, and got the checks out and threw the letters in the trash. And 60 Minutes found the letters in the bank in the trash of the dumpster of the bank. Um, so they never even were read. And so this guy was found out and he had to sell three or four of his mansions. Um, and I can't believe it, even after that, he, he kept going. Like after a couple of years, we started seeing his tele, television show on again and people were following him. It's one of the things wolves do, if they're not completely dead, they come back. Um, and that's one of the problems of ministry. Um, I've seen these guys sort of come back, whether it's Jim and Tammy Baker or like, I mean, you remember, there, was, uh, there were just all kinds of televangelist problems back in the 80s. And you know, the 90s, it kind of bled into that. But, but what is it today? You know, um, it's interesting because um, while Benny Hinn is, I think he's old now and I, I, don't, I, I don't even know if he's on the scene. I think he is. We were in Israel and we bumped into Benny Hinsters, 13 tour buses, 
kind of following us around. We, we had our one little tour bus, uh, but 13 tour buses and we just saw the Hinsters. We called them the Hinsters because they would go in, in a place and they'd start waving flags, claiming territory for God and kissing the pastor's feet and stuff. We saw that. It was just really weird. Um, but, uh, but just doctrinally off and wrong. Um, by the way, Benny Hinn, uh, if, you, if you're still a fan, don't be. Can I just say? <laughs> I know that once in a while I'll, talk, I'll mention Benny Hinn and, and who even cares now? Well, there's still people that sort of follow him. Uh, his doctrine was so crazy far off. Um, uh, I brought a snippet. You guys wanna see a snippet? <laughs> you guys are gluttons for punishment. Um, this is only 19 seconds, but this is one of the things he said on TBN, that bastion of doctrinal solidity. <clears throat> here, let's tr- crank it up here. Let's make sure we get this. Here we go. Adam was a super being when God Adam. created him. I don't know whether people even know this, but he was the first superman that really ever lived. I'll prove it further. Adam not only flew, he flew to space. He used to be, he, 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 he was with one thought, he'd be on the moon. Who, who are we talking about there? Adam. He said Adam, he was a superhuman being and he flew to space uh, and went to the moon. Um, his, his covering pastor, believe it or not, at that time was Jack Hayford. You guys remember Jack Hayford? And Jack Hayford pulled him aside and said, Benny, that's whack. Like, uh, um, and, and another thing he was teaching at this time is there's three trinities within the Holy Trinity, which is heretical. Um, and Jack Hayford said, yeah, you gotta stop teaching that too. And he repented for three weeks. Um, and it didn't quite keep the income flowing like he wanted, so he went right back to his weird teaching. Adam went to space and was Superman, and there are three trinities within a trinity. So back then, I was saying, watch out for guys like this, um, and watch out for hairdos like that. Um, uh, but, uh, but, but anyway, um, all that to say, um, you know, it's funny because most of us now kind of go, yeah, you know, if you went to a Benny Hinn crusade, uh, which we had one in Portland, some Athe Creekers went just to kind of see what was going on. And the, the, the methods they used to trick people and to get people, all the people to fall down in the front rows, like they had tactics that got that all worked out. And it was very uh, manipulated and it was very dishonest. Um, and that was Benny's ministry. And so we, we were calling those guys out. And there's a reason I called those guys out, by the way. It's not just to be mean or, you know, you don't like Benny Hinn. No, it's just he's teaching false doctrine. And uh, pastors, true pastors are supposed to watch and warn the flock of wolves that want just to feed on the flock, take their money. If they're in it for the money, uh, you kind of have to say, yeah, watch out for that. Uh, it's not because I enjoy calling out guys like Penny Hinn. Um, but, but today we have different wolves. Uh, fortunately, they're not the televangelists, but I'm gonna say some of the wolves we have today are far more subtle than Benny Hinn. It's almost like I wish we could go back to the days of Benny Hinn because at least I could say, wacko, and you'd all say, yeah, he is pretty wacko. Like, like at least reasonable people would say, yeah. But today, it's far more subtle. Um, why is it that millennials um, are dropping like flies when it comes to faith? Have you ever wondered that today? Um, and, and it's funny because when you are in a pastor circle, pastors and all the, the uh, you know, uh, podcasts and all the pastors that write books, they're all trying to figure out why are millennials dropping you know, away from faith? Um, and and, I, and I, I believe there's a reason that, that's often not talked about. And that is, there's been a lot of wacko teaching, false teaching, or, or, or even teaching that's a little more on the edge of false, 
maybe borderline false, but not maybe even essential doctrines, but even important doctrines, but not essential doctrines. But millennials, I think, have grown up and they've seen a lot of hypocrisy in the church from the televangelist era to sort of an intermediate phase where there was just some teaching that the millennials kind of grew up and saw hypocrisy in their pastors. They saw hypocrisy in their parents, in their Christian faith circles. Um, And so as it turns out today, four in 10 millennials um, now say they are religiously unaffiliated. Um, According to a Pew Research Center, in fact, millennials, those, I think they're, what are they? Around the age 23 to 28, I think is the, or 38, I should say, are millennials. So the millennials are starting to become seniors here pretty soon. Um, but, um, but they're more likely to say no to Christianity or religion. Um, and it seems impossible um, uh, that as millennials grew older, at least some of them might return. You know, we, we were kind of hoping that, you know, they'd do the old thing where they'd walk away from their parents' faith and then they'd come back and believe in the truth. But there's mounting evidence that today's younger generations, millennials, Gen Zers, are leaving religion for good. That, that's the scarier thing that we're seeing right now. Um, it seems like the more we've allowed sketchy teaching in the church, um, the more people have grown skeptical, as they should have. Like, it's an amazing thing. I mean, it's not rocket science, but when pastors are teaching stuff that's sort of sketchy or just based on their emotions or their feelings um, and not really based on the solid rock of the scripture, um, the, the millennials, the Gen Zers are kind of like, man, we're smarter than that. We, we don't really want to believe that sort of hogwash. And, and I kind of admire them in the sense that they are able to, to discern that there's wackoness in the church. But here's the problem. It's what, it's a, what a lot of them are doing about that. Um, and this is something that I'm concerned about with false teachers and stuff like that is instead of just identifying them as false teachers, the tendency is just to chalk the whole thing off and to say, yeah, whatever, I'm out of faith altogether. Um, just because there's been bad leadership, and I'll admit uh, we've lived in a season and we're in the middle of a season right now with really bad leadership in the church. I just have to say, leaders are falling by the droves, moral failures, financial failures, attitude failures, uh, poor treatment of people in churches. That's something we're seeing uh, all the time in the church. And so among the buzzwords right now in Christian social media are the variations of the word deconstruction. Have you guys heard about deconstruction? It's kind of a big deal if you haven't been following kind of trends in the church, but um, this word has been used to describe everything from the conversion, uh, the deconversions of Kevin Max from DC Talk, if you remember him. I've had dinner with him once uh, years and years ago, back when he was a young Christian. Uh, Joshua Harris uh, of I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He was a guy who left the faith. Um, uh, uh, you know, um, also the soul searching of Derek Webb led to uh, you know, a deconstruction of his faith. And also the theological uh, you know, revisions of Jen Hatmaker and, and Rob Bell. Like we've seen in the last decade, or even more than that, all these kind of famous Christians, uh, people sort of deconstructing their faith or, or revising their faith and changing uh, really everything they believe and often uh, misleading or leading the church down this, this way. The term deconstruction is increasingly being used prescriptively where all you gotta do is just deconstruct. Like they're, they're saying it as a positive. Uh, it's recommended, especially to those questioning what, um, what they've grown up with, the, the faith of their parents. 
um, as a courageous thing to do, you go through that period of deconstruction. Um, to applaud or even recommend deconstruction. The problem is, I think that lands someone, what I've observed, between unhelpful or even very dangerous, this idea of deconstructing one's faith. Um, deconstruction, the implication is, you know, what you've been told by your pastor, by your parents, uh, you gotta just tear that all down. Deconstruction, tear it apart, and then rebuild. But the question is, what do you rebuild it with? And that's where I've noticed that these pro-deconstructionists have very weakly sort of just said, you know, kind of let it go out. It just kind of comes out. Do, de- reconstruct your faith. They don't even talk about reconstruction. They really talk about deconstruction. Um, uh, even, though, uh, even though we've seen bad leadership, false teachers, pastors with moral failures and all that stuff, um, is it really a good idea just to tear everything your parents taught you apart? Is that a good idea? All the parents are like, no. But, but what's funny is that deconstruction crowd is diminishing parental involvement of, ki- of children. Like, like I, I, I'm pro parents teaching their kids to be believers in Jesus. And I think we should always do that. This deconstruction crowd doesn't give any credibility to that. Tear what your parents taught you down. Tear what your pastor, your local, you know, small church pastor told you to do or mega church pastor. Just tear it down because all that's wacko and you should just really reconstruct your own kind of, and, and it borderlines on what we talked about on Sunday, relativism. They're reconstructing their Christian faith relative to what they think is true. Forget your pastor, forget your parents. Is forget your pastor and forget your parents, is that a biblical idea? Because um, the Bible is actually, believe it or not, I know this sounds self-serving, the Bible is pro-pastor. Yeah, but Brett, mega churches. The Bible doesn't, did you know that, that, that Peter had a mega church? Sorry to say. Now, well, here's what's funny. I have never been pro mega church. If you've known me, if you've been around Athey Creek, we have never been pro mega church. It's so hilarious. We've never had a church growth plan. We never sat around, how can we get more people here? Um, we've always thought, how can we get less people here? <laughs> how can we offend people easier or? open up parking space, like, like really. Um, and, and the governing elders, remember, we were like, yeah, Brett, we just want to, Brett wants to kind of keep it, uh, you know, 500 or less or whatever. It's gonna be awesome. And we can know everybody and shepherd and pastor. And we've not been a pro mega church. Meanwhile, during that time in the early 90s when we were starting Eighth Greek in 1996, the mega church drive was out there, feverish pitch. Church growth, mega church, church seeker friendly. That's when the mega churches really started booming in 1995 and forward. Meanwhile, we're like, yeah, we don't really want that. Um, so then all the mega churches started growing because seeker friendliness. Then that, that whole seeker friendly movement and some other things that went along with that, some corruption, some weirdness and, and mixed all together, a lot of mega churches have failed because they were all about church growth and they felt the pressure to always perform and, and have it be better from one week to the next. And it was just huge pressure. And man, everybody got burnt out. And, and now we're living in a time where all those same people that were pro mega church, today they're all anti mega church. It's hilarious. They're like the wind. One minute, the same people, Barna Research Group, same people, they all were pro mega church, church growth, all this stuff. Now they're all like, oh yeah, the mega church is horrible, dark, evil, and everything about mega churches. And so Christianity Today, there's big organizations that are way anti mega church, which is hilarious. So Athey Creek, what happened? I have no idea. <laughs> Other 
then I'm just doing the same thing I've always done, just sitting on my stool, <laughs> teaching the Bible verse by verse. Uh, it's not a fancy thing. It's, not a, it's nothing that we really thought, oh, how can we get more people? Um, but but it's, it's interesting because as it turns out, uh, we hate to admit it, but we have a megachurch. Um, a megachurch by definition, by the way, is 2,000 or more. Depend, some people say 1,500 or more, um, but uh, we have more than 2,000 people. <laughs> uh, times five. Um, it's a big church. Uh, but, but here's the thing, we're not proud of that. It scares us. Uh, it makes us realize, wow, we've gotta come up with ways to learn how to shepherd and care for a congregation this size. And so we're doing our best to do that, not only with the people that are here, but the people that are out online, watching at Athey Creek online. And, and we wanna shepherd and care for people. And it's, it's not easy, not an easy job. Um, I always crack up at uh, people that, hey, Pastor Brett, we want you to meet us. Uh, can we have lunch? And I'm like, oh, if you only knew. Uh, I only get like 300 invites to lunch every couple days. I'd love, and, and you wonder why I'm overweight. Come on, are you kidding me? It's, it's, it's all your fault. No, I'm just, people have us over for dinner, man. It's like, oh, Pastor likes to eat. Here we go, come on, here. Have, have another ribeye steak, you know. Um, <laughs> but, but honestly, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. The mega church is difficult, but what's funny is we, we never really wanted that. So, so now Athey Creek, not wanting to be a mega church, we are. Meanwhile, tons of mega churches, especially during the coronavirus and lockdowns, a lot, a lot of those churches have failed and they're closed or their doors should be closed or they are closing. And the world's going, what's going on? And their, their prescription is deconstruct your faith and forget the mega church and forget your pastor and forget your parents, deconstruct. I'm putting it in negative terms. They won't put it in quite those same negative terms, but that's the way I see it. That, that's what's actually happening. And even though we've seen moral failures in leaders and that happens both with mega churches and small churches, it's just when it's a big church where the pastor fails, whether it's a Bill Hybels, you know, of Willow Creek or, you know, like, like the, the numbers of, of people are tragically huge. Even another pastor this week uh, had to come out and of a big church in Texas. And it's, it's heartbreaking to see that. But even though we have leaders who fail and, and stuff like that, one of the things I'm saddened is we've not built Christians that don't just recognize bad things that happen in the church. We, we've become such an easily victimized culture. Oh, I, my faith is faltering because that pastor did something. I, I hope you understand, and, and man, if I could help Athey Creek, uh, we should never let our faith rest on that pastor, this pastor, or any pastor. Like if, if a pastor has a moral failure, and like oh, my faith is faltering, maybe your faith was never really based on the right thing to begin with. Like, like uh, your faith should be solely based on Jesus Christ, not Athey Creek, not Rolling Hills, not, you know, Life Church or Highlands or, you know, all the Flatirons or whatever the big churches are around the country. Like you really shouldn't base your faith on. Now, now meanwhile, church is important. Pastors are important. Teaching the Bible is still important. But your faith shouldn't be hinging on how good your pastor's doing. Uh, do you see what I'm saying there? Brett, are you getting ready to confess something? No, I sure hope not. <laughs> I'm just saying, it makes me nervous. If, if I, I, I wanna set up Athey Creekers, if I got shot in the head tomorrow, or even had a moral failure, uh, or whatever happened, I would hope you just kinda go, you know what, Brett's in heaven, or Brett's in jail, whatever. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but my faith, 
my faith is based on Jesus Christ and him alone. Uh, that's, that's the key, that's the key. Uh, so, you know, we're seeing all this deconstruction, you know? Um, and, and so the reason I go into this is because one of the things Jesus is teaching here is you gotta kind of be able to sense good fruit from bad fruit and false teaching. And, and, and the idea is there's, there's bad shepherds or even false shepherds is the context of really this part of the, of the Bible. Um, uh, by the way, um, there's a healthy, while, while some people are saying the prescription is deconstruct your faith. Um, I would say no. The prescription is not, you know, be solely dependent on the mega church that you once attended. No, but be a part of the church. Uh, let's go over just a few reminders of what the Bible says. Hebrews 10, 25, um, it says, not forsaking, this is what we're supposed to do, the assembling of ourselves together. As the matter of some is, which is a lot of deconstructing people. I don't need church. I don't like organized religion. As it turns out, Jesus likes organized religion. He organized it in his word with deacons, elders, and episcopuses. I'll talk about that in a second. But that structure, that's organization. People, I don't like organized church. Jesus likes that. Yeah, but there's moral affairs. Big shock, we're people and we're stupid. We make sins and do mistakes. But your faith shouldn't be hinging on that pastor or those people. You still need to assemble yourselves together. Yeah, but the church is such a disappointment. Jesus still loves his church. All flawed and sinful and whacked out. Jesus still loves them and, and he wants us to assemble together. And some people, he says, the manner is to forsake the assembling. Um, but instead, exhort one another, which I'm trying to do right now. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day approaching? The day of the Lord. The time where the Lord intervenes. In the, so we're, we're seeing that approach. So we need to exhort all the more to assemble ourselves. And that's why we're encouraging people to come to Athe or, or be a part of a watch party and gather in a group and have pastoral covering from Athe and, and try to be part of the church. And, and it's not just Athe, man. Find a good church where you live and plug in. Well, bro, it's not as good as Athe Greek. Well, I doubt that. There's, there's gotta be some good churches out there. I do sadly admit, I, I think they're farther and fewer between, but look for a good Bible teaching church. But they don't go verse by verse through the Bible. I wish they would, but that doesn't make them a bad church. Find a church that at least teaches the Bible. That, that's, that's really important. And, and, and don't forsake the assembling. So, so rather than deconstruct, plug in to the church. But the church is flawed. Doesn't say anything about that. Still plug in. Also be given uh, to corporate Bible study. Um, like we're doing right now. This is a part of your faith. Corporate Bible study is what they did in the early church. They gave attendance to the apostles' doctrine steadfastly. Also, 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16. Till I come, Paul said to Timothy, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, which is teaching the Bible. That's the word doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee uh, by prophecy with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Meditate on these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. This is speaking of Timothy's role to pastor, shepherd, and teach the church at Ephesus. Um, as give yourself to that. Verse 16, take heed to thyself and to the doctrine or teaching. Continue in them for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Teaching is still important as it turns out. Bible teaching, good solid uh, teaching of doctrine. One of the things that's shocking to me is how churches sort of kind of blow off doctrine. And sadly, the very people that are touting deconstruction as one of the prescriptions, their answer is not solid doctrine. Like if you're deconstructing and then saying, now rebuild it 
I might even be a little more behind deconstruction if they said, rebuild your faith now on the scripture. Um, I'm, I'm still uncomfortable saying blow off the faith of your parents and your pastor that you grew up with. I'm a little uncomfortable with that. But at least if you're gonna reconstruct, reconstruct with the word of God and solid doctrine. But the people that are these deconstructionists, I'm not sure all of them even care about doctrine anymore. They're the ones that I've pointed out, by the way. Some of these deconstructionists are the same ones saying, you need to learn to forgive Jesus. Is that solid doctrine? No, that's totally whacked. Um, that's just, that's, that's heresy, if you ask me, uh, saying you gotta forgive Jesus because you're basically saying Jesus sinned and you need to forgive him. That's just stupid doctrine. Um, so be given to corporate Bible study, go to plug into church, be with Christians. And, and then I would say measure everything by scripture, like the people of, Thessal, uh, of Berea. If, uh, it says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word, Acts 17, 11, with all readiness of mind, which we all should do, and search the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Um, you need to test um, so here's what you need to do uh, to test um, a healthy church, a healthy congregation. And by the way, there's no perfect church. There's no perfect pastors. Boy, it's funny, all these podcasts now that are talking about you know, abuse in the church. And it's really tricky because there is abuse in the church in some circles, in some places. Um, but then there's also just flawed people making mistakes. Uh, and there's a big difference there. But in our victimized world, where everybody's a victim, uh, it's kind of amazing how they're kind of uh, mixing those all together. And they're basically trying to say, all big churches are horrible uh, and uh, all pastors are a waste of time. And it's just really not a healthy kind of thing. The test is, are the sheep in the church alive and healthy? Um, are they being led away from the great shepherd or being led to the great shepherd? Like, like the test of a good church is not really that hard if you ask me. Are we getting closer to Jesus? Are we loving Jesus, walking toward Jesus, flawed as we are, sheep that go astray as we do? But are we, are we saying we wanna follow Jesus better? That's a good sign of a healthy church if that's kind of the central theme. Um, but when, when I say following Jesus, remember uh, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the, so when I say Jesus, I'm talking about Jesus, the living word, and also this written word, the logos and the rhema word. Jesus is who we follow, very important. So it's not really hard, I mean, to find a, or to d discern, is this a healthy congregation? Um, you know, some people say, well, Brett, you're a celebrity pastor. When, when I hear that, it, it just makes my skin crawl because like, like that's the last thing in the world I'd wanna be. Um, now, what is a celebrity pastor? I have no idea, but Carl Lentz Jr., that was a celebrity pastor. You don't see me hanging out with Justin Bieber, showing my ab. Um, you, don't see, you don't see that. I'm not a celebrity pastor. I, I don't write books. Uh, not that writing books, I could write a book if I wanted to and it's to be fine but I, I don't write books, I don't travel and speak everywhere. I've been asked all the time to go speak at places, I just don't do that. Why? Because I've got a job. I, I like teaching verse by verse, I like being here with this congregation. So I'm not a celebrity pastor, we just have a lot of people here. And that is a little bit different and sometimes it gets a little weird, I'll admit that. But, um, but you know, it's funny how, how people make these cases that are really kind of really not fair, I'm just gonna say that. 
Um, let's be careful about that. That the test is, are we pointing people to Christ? Are we keep keeping the emphasis on his word? Um, and are, are the sheep getting stronger, healthier, better? Are there baptisms? Are there people accepting Christ? Man, last weekend between the five services, we had like 30 more people accept Jesus, which is awesome. Um, it's like, we see that all the time. Praise the Lord for that. Now, I know what some of you guys out there at Christianity Today are saying, well, that, that's just Pastor Brett. And he must be covering up scandals at Athey because he's saying baptisms, salvations. Because that is something churches do, I'll just admit. They say, look at the fruit. We got baptisms and we got salvations, so we can treat people badly and have an affair and be texting women uh, inappropriately and blah, blah, blah. Uh, of course, that's, that's wacko. And you don't, you don't use the good fruit to only cover up some of the bad fruit that's on the inside. Uh, I, I might be getting into some stuff that you guys are like, what, what are you talking about, Brett? Um, it's the world of the church today. There, there's a condition that, we, that a lot of people, unless you're following what's happening, you don't really know, but many of you are aware there's, there's some real trouble in the church uh, in, of Jesus Christ in the world, but maybe even worse, even in America, the condition of the church is not good. Um, if we're doing a state of the church address, like with the state of the union, I would say the condition of the church is very unhealthy right now. Um, now that's a little bit troubling. And you could say things are falling apart. Nope, they're falling into place. Exactly like Jesus said, in the last days there'd be a famine of, a, of the hearing of the word of God. In the last days there'd be people, you know, false teachers and, and false messiahs even. Like this is all stuff that the last days in the Bible tells us is gonna happen. So we're seeing that. But you say, well, brethren, why even try? Why even care? Because we're called to still do our job as Christians. Even though there's, there's people failing in faith, millennials are marching away and churches are failing, we should be trying to do the best to say, nope, let's stick to our guns and do what Jesus told us to do. Uh, let's stick to, to true faith and follow what Bible says. Well, where am I? Um, let's see, Matthew chapter seven. Um, uh, so, so uh, beware of false prophets uh, is the is the word there. Um, now, um, by the way, um, when it, when when it says that, um, as a pastor, you know, you kind of you, you kind of start to get defensive because Jesus is the great chief shepherd. But as a pastor, we're supposed to be the feeder of the flock or under shepherds. The word past, pastor means feeder of the flock. And I'm reminded of Acts 20. Why don't you keep your finger here in Matthew 7? I know we've only gone through technically one verse, but uh, let's go to Acts chapter 20. I, I just want to show you this because some people get up in a tizzy when I mention Oprah. And some people get mad when I mention Benny Hinn. I'm sure there's some old lady watching on, uh, online right now going, I can't believe Brett this dissed my my online pastor, Benny Hinn. Um, well, you gotta understand, this, this comes from a heart that gives me a job to do. In Acts 20, Paul's talking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. And these aren't just elders for prayer and ministry, these are episcopuses, what's that? Well, take a look at verse 20, uh, verse 28, I should say. Acts 20, 28. Uh, Paul gives a strong word, he says in 20, 28, he says, take heed therefore unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Now, mark in your notes or in your Bible, the word overseer there is the word episkopos in the Greek. Um, it says, he made you overseers to feed, that's pastor, the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. You see, this is where I start getting real nervous as a pastor. 
The Lord has given me a role to, to feed the flock and the Lord gives us as pastors and elders and episcopuses, which I'll talk in a second, we're supposed to oversee the church. And I think guys have taken that job far too lightly. I hear these pastors, it's like they come into the ministry and they don't realize the gravity of what they're doing. And so they come in flippantly and they got their, they got their ministry and they drop, you know, cussing and they kind of just, they just kind of, it's like they're just some guy off the street that said, oh, you mean I can be a pastor and teach the Bible? Um, no, there's a role of overseeing and caring for the flock. And it's not just the flock, it's, it's the flock that Jesus purchased with his own blood. The gravity of that is profound. And so if you're gonna be a pastor, you gotta make sure that you care about the flock that Jesus purchased with his own blood. The price, the value of the congregation of Jesus, who people say, I don't like Christians, I don't like church. Yeah, but he purchased that with his blood. Can you, can you imagine the immense cost, price that was paid. You see, so if you don't like the church, you're in big trouble because Jesus saw it valuable enough to pay for that church with his own blood. Like this to me is very sobering and something that pastors should remember. Um, what's this word episkopos, by the way? It's the word that is often translated to be bishop. And that's where bishops came from. But um, the word episkopos basically means the overseers in the church. Um, the, the, the various definitions, a man charged with the duty of seeing that things be done by others are done rightly, any curator, guardian, or superintendent, the superintendent, elder, or overseer of a Christian church. These are the, the definitions of the word episkopos. At Athe Creek, by the way, if you're wondering, we have um, elders, deacons, and bishops, but we don't call them bishops. Why? Because the Anglican church and the Catholic church made thing, bishop into a weird thing. Plus, it's something I think of when I play chess. Um, so the word bishop, I think, has been ruined by history. I'm just gonna say that. Or there's some churches, bishop so-and-so, and like, who is that? And he's not a bishop at all. He's just some guy that likes to be called bishop. Um, so we, we've, we, we, call it, we, we call it a governing elder. So um, an elder, because that's who Paul's talking to, is elders at the church of Ephesus. And among those were also elders that were episcopuses. So that's what we have at Athe. We have elders that are prayer and ministry of the word, but we also have episcopos elders. We call them governing elders. And it's a small team of men that I answer to, that I, that I submit myself to. I, I'm accountable to them. I ask them, guys, do you see anything wrong that I'm doing? Uh, I wanna hear from you if there's problems at Athe. Um, if I have things I'm wrestling through, I, we pray through that as a group of elders. Uh, the governing body of elders make all the decisions. And the way it works, by the way, it's not voting. It's not a committee. Um, at Athey Creek, when we make decisions, it's, it's a unanimous decision where we all come together and say, this is where the Lord's leading us through prayer. We, we come to a unanimous decision. If there's one guy in the group that says, man, I have a check in my heart about doing this, then we don't do it. We just say, okay, the Lord's not doing that right now. Uh, and we'll pray through it. And we don't just take things lightly and say, well, he's got a check, so forget it. But, but we, we either keep praying, keep seeking, keep knocking until we all kind of come together and una unanimous. And then by the way, that's biblical. If you remember the council in Acts 15, they were trying to decide what to do with the Gentiles. And Paul gave his two cents and Peter gave his two cents and James gave his word. And then they all said, that's, the, that's it right there, what James just said. And they all agreed and said, let's do that. That to me is the biblical model of church eldership, episkopos, and that's the way Athey Creek uh, rolls. So 
So you have to understand that. I think one of the biggest mistakes pastors make is they don't have accountability with an elder board. Um, and there might be elder boards that are there in name only, but they don't really, like the pastor still kind of runs the church. And we get asked that from time to time. You know, uh, some of our governing elders or even our staff, people say, does Brett really just kind of run the church? Come on, does Brett really do it? And, and it's like, uh, no, <laughs> that's not the way it works here at Athey. And uh, I would challenge anybody who claims that, just say that to one of my governing elders, good luck. Um, these are not wimpy little men. These are guys that love Jesus and are very strong uh, personalities and strong and, and really great men. I, guys that I very much respect. And if they say, man, we gotta stop or gotta change, uh, they're the guys I listen to. They're the guys I submit myself to. Uh, you should just kind of look for that in a church, by the way. I think if a guy's the Lone Ranger, he's setting himself up for a big fall. Um, I've seen that up close where, you know, a guy who's even a gifted, talented teacher, talented leader, but if he doesn't have a group that he submits to, he's setting himself up for future problems. Um, and I knew that to be true when I was younger. Uh, so I was always like, well, I'm always gonna have a governing elder board and they're gonna be real, not just in, in name only. But I remember thinking that's, that's, that looks dangerous. But now that I've lived some life and seen churches and seen where that goes, it's, it's, I'm really thankful. I, I get more and more thankful for my governing board every single day, I really do. Um, uh, and, and by the way, that's just biblical. And, and not only should I do that, but you should do that too. We're, the Bible calls us to submit ourselves one to another. I hope you have three or four or five people that you just say, if they say something to me about my life, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do that. Well, Brad, I don't trust anybody else with my life. Well, you're in a dangerous spot because you're not that smart. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta get perspective from the outside in. I'm just telling you, you're, none of us are that smart. Oh, I am. Well, a lot of people have said that and they're the, just, they're the next podcast topic. I'm just saying. Um, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.21, we're to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. Um, so, um, so all that to say, uh, people are you know, mad when I speak against the teachings of Benny or Oprah or Bethel or whatever. Um, but uh, the, the key is, um, who are you gonna submit to? People who make billions of dollars or have big powerful ministries, or are you gonna submit to what the word of God actually says? And, um, and that's just an important thing. We need to uh, care for this flock. And that's why we watch and warn. In fact, uh, are you still in the book of Acts chapter 20? Oh, good. Let's, since you're there, um, <laughs> let's, let's take a look. By the way, let's go back and look at verse, uh, verses 29 uh, on onward. It says, after he says, purchasing with his own blood, verse 29, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw um, away disciples after them. Like Paul's calling out what's happening in the church today wolves from without, stupid people from within. It's all dangerous. The church is a dangerous place. Wolves and people from within. He says, there'll be those that um, after my departing that are even among you that won't spare the flock. We've had that at Athey Creek, people that were once with us that were um, you know, kind of hanging out and doing their thing. But it, we, it started to become more apparent that they're not really into um, as much the flock as they're into themselves and drawing away wool, like a wolf would draw away a, sh a lamb from the sheepfold. We've had that, um, sad to say, but we've had to call that out. And it's, it's not easy leading in a, in a congregation. Verse 30, also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. 
Therefore, this is what a good pastor, good episcopos does. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, behold, uh, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Um, let's keep going. I have coveted no man's of silver or gold or apparel. If a pastor's in it for the money, uh, you're in the wrong business. Uh, that's a good thing. If you, you gotta kind of watch that. If, if, if the pastor's like, um, you know, uh, saying, you know, just give till it hurts. I'm gonna say this. I have never once asked for money, not for me or not for Athey Creek. Uh, I love Athey Creekers because they just say, you know what? We're gonna give to this congregation um, because we're giving to Jesus. We're giving our tithe and our offering to the Lord. That's why, and this is where we're fed. This is where we're getting fed. So this is where we give our T's and O's. And then the goal is for the leadership to handle those finances well and pay the staff uh, accordingly. And what, what the, as fair dollar amounts to pay uh, staff people. Um, Athe leadership has always said, um, we wanna pay people what they would make if they were not at a, on staff at a church. If we wanna pay them what they would be making out in a secular job, another, another job that's comparable to the one that they're doing at Athe. Um, we, we've done that carefully. Uh, and that's something that we try to do. Um, and uh, so he says, I have not coveted uh, no man's silver, gold, or pearl, verse 34. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Man, this is just great. Paul, I love all of Acts 20, by the way. Uh, the whole elders at Ephesus, uh, is, is, it should be the manual for all pastors and elders of churches. Uh, but, but I should be in Matthew 7. Let's flip back. Uh, <laughs> Matthew chapter 7. And the reason I do that, remember Paul in Acts 20 said, I, I watch and warn you of the wolves that want to grievously come in and hurt the church. That's what Jesus said here. Beware of false prophets, which come in, verse 15 of 7, uh, which come in like sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. Um, this is the same warning, uh, warning here. Um, and by the way, um, uh, you know, so we're talking about following the wrong leaders and stuff like that. Um, one of the things you have to kind of look for in a leader is someone who's following Jesus themselves. And if there's little hints that they're following glory or fame or money or whatever, you should probably run the other way. But if, if you get a sense that a leader saying, man, I, I wanna follow Jesus, uh, flaws and all, uh, no leader is perfect. Um, but if they're wanting to follow Jesus Christ, I love how Paul could say that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one. He says, be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. So that's one of the things. If you find a leader, make sure they're following Jesus, uh, not asking for money, not uh, trying to get popular on, and more followers or more you know, social media, not um, you know, uh, trying to get you know, famous or any of that stuff. Watch out for that. Um, so watch out for wolves. Uh, how do you know a wolf by what it eats? Uh, jot down 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Um, man, we're running out of time. Um, but it says, There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately bring in damnable heresies. Some of the churches I'm seeing today are sneaking in heresy, but they, look, they don't look like Benny Hinn. It's more dangerous today. Um, they look like young, hip um, smart, intellectual um, people. 
And you have to watch out for the false teaching because I see young people reposting and retweeting uh, things that are just really heretical teachings. Watch out for this. Um, For false teachers among you who privately bring damnable heresies, even denying the Lord, saying like Jesus needs to be forgiven, stuff like that. Denying the Lord that brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of of whom the the way of truth shall be evil spoken of and through covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. I mean, Peter doesn't pull any punches here when it comes to this. They're, They're after you. Watch out for pastors, teachers, churches that are after you, marketing you for more money, calling you a tithing unit or looking at you as like merchandise. They wanna make merchandise of you. That, that's always a dead giveaway of, of a problem. Well, let's go to verse 16 here of Matthew uh, chapter seven. It goes on. You shall know them, these, these good or bad or ugly, you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? The answer would be obviously no. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring good forth, um, pardon me, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. So this is where we see the difference. Um, Remember in chapter seven, verse one, judge not that you be not judged. Well, these are the types of judgment we see both in the same chapter. We see judgment, judging to condemnation, uh, don't do that. But ju- judging for identification, that's what we are supposed to do. Condemnation is judge not lest you be judged, judging to condemnation. But judging fruit inspectors, saying you'll know them by their fruit, that in- involves a, a certain a judging of what's going on in a church or in a ministry or a Bible teacher or whatever the Christian claim might be, you should judge that. And if it's good fruit, you can sense it's coming from a good tree or a good source. Um, uh, By the way, um, you know, good fruit or rotten fruit, um, you know, it's interesting because in Jesus's day, it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and the people are seeing Jesus in his ministry and they're gonna compare, even the end of the sermon, that's one, one of the things we're gonna see is the people compare Jesus's fruit versus the fruit of the Pharisees. We'll see that as we get going. But um, are there healthy Christians in the church? Are there people accepting Jesus? Are, are people getting baptized? And is the staff working together? One of the things I worry about in a big church like ours and others is you can have a lot of really good things going on in the grand scheme, but it can kind of rot from the inside out where staff and leadership starts to be corrupt or problematic or toxic. Um, and that's something at Athey Creek, we work hard and careful uh, trying to continue to, to make sure we have a good, healthy internal. Because man, if I'm Satan, and if I wanna stumble a ton of people, uh, let's, let's just go from the inside out and take their knees out, take the giant church's knees out with a staff or uh, leadership's marriages are falling apart or you know, unhealthy behaviors going on. That's something to be praying for, for uh, all, all churches, but big churches, I think it's something even more dangerous. Small churches fall, big churches fall. It's just when a small church falls, it affects a small church. But when a big church is like, like Athey, if, if we were to fall, the rise and fall of Athey Creek, um, you know, 
uh, like the podcast that, you know, you guys maybe know what I'm talking about there. If that happened, then, you know, not only the people that attend this church, but all the people online, it just disillusions people. And because we're a very, you know, uh, victimized uh, society and we get really wounded and hurt and people think my faith is shaken because of that church, um, man, it's so sad to watch people fall away and deconstruct and walk away from Jesus. Um, it's really sad. Uh, don't forget, God uses flawed pastors, leaders, and teachers. Don't, don't forget that. I'm not making a, um, an excuse or even a, a con- condoning bad behavior, but Moses, was he a flawed leader? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I find it hard to find flaws in Moses, but Moses misrepresented the Lord. He struck the rock a second time. He shouldn't have done that. And, um, and was angry and yelled at the people and called them all morons. Like, like he made some mistakes um, as a leader. Um, but you know, it's funny how we get all up in a tizzy about bad leadership. Um, just remember, um, the church is up in a big battle. Uh, Ephesians chapter six, verse 12 reminds us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of darkness in this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. But good news, we don't freak out at Athe Creek. Why? Because um, we're, we're of God. He says, you are of God, little children. You have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Good news there for us. And then also we shouldn't be freaked out or say, I'm not gonna plug into church because they might fail. Hey, we've not been getting over to a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. So um, by the way, uh, watch out for those doing signs and wonders. And this is where we pick it up uh, in this next section, um, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This is where we have to look in the church and say, man, do we, do we have... Um, people that are literally knowing and following Jesus. That's probably the number one test. Uh, you know, belief in Jesus, following Jesus, loving Jesus. Um, it can't be about the ministry. It can't be about how wonderful we're doing as a ministry. It's gotta be all about Jesus. Jesus is the main thing. Um, so, um, so question, what will the Lord say to you when you see it? It's the Lord. When you stand before the Lord, will you say, Lord, Lord, didn't I, didn't I go to Athey Creek? Listen to Brett's tediously long Wednesday night Bible studies. Uh, um, the Lord will say, uh, that's not gonna do it for you. Um, you know, your salvation is not by going to Athe Creek or any good work. Your salvation is by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You're saved through faith and not of yourselves, gift of God, not of your works, lest any man should boast. This is the key. Um, now, so we got um, this idea of uh, the false, the fake, the bad fruit. And that's really verses, uh, you know, um, Uh, 15 through 23. Now we have this last and final section here, um, verses uh, 24 through 27, uh, the two builders. It says in verse uh, 24, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, the doers of the word, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these things of mine and doeth them not shall be likened to a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, 
and great was the fall of it. Just like cell phones. <laughs> Building your house upon the cell phone. Um, so a shaky or firm foundation, you know. Um, now, by the way, um, did you notice that's the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Seems abrupt, doesn't it? Like when you go, wait, where's the rest of it? Jesus said, now in conclusion, he doesn't say that. He says, wise man listens to what I said, foolish man doesn't. The end. It's like, that's it. Um, I love how brief and, and abrupt the ending is because he wants to leave you with, what are you gonna do? That's what he's asking. He's like, what are you gonna do about all the stuff I just said? Um, and the cool thing is, Jesus, I, I've, I might've misspoke in some ways, kind of on purpose, because I, I've always said, well, Jesus doesn't give the answer to the Sermon on the Mount. He is the answer in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm gonna stand on that. But he sneaks it in here at the end, doesn't he? Because we know, if you know your Bible, the rock is Jesus. And the wise man builds his house on the rock, the foolish man builds his house on the sand. So Jesus is sort of cryptically saying, build your house on me. Jesus is the whole deal. I am the way, the truth, and life. I love how Jesus ends this saying, you gotta hear the words and the sayings and do what I've said. Then you're gonna be building your house upon um, you know, the, the rock. I love that. Uh, the, the question here is, what, what will you do? The rest of the Bible, if, uh, if you uh, ask me, uh, reads like a commentary on these three duos that we just read. The path, the trees, the foundation, the duos. The path, you know, uh, Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, the path, John 8, 12, Jesus spake to them saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's the light path. Um, John 10, seven, Jesus said, verily I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So it's the path, the door. Um, the whole Bible's about this. The tree, two trees, good fruit, bad fruit. It points to Jesus, the tree. By the way, the tree in the Bible is always a symbol of pointing to Jesus, the cross. First Peter 2, 24, who, is, who his own self, Jesus, bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we might be being dead to sin should live to righteousness. Colossians 2, 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So, you know, the tree, good fruit or bad fruit, we wanna nail ourselves to the tree that bore the best fruit of all, Jesus the Messiah. Um, man, I wish we could camp out on this. I was planning on talking for only 30 more minutes on this point. Um, but um, but uh, I'm gonna leave it there because uh, we can meditate on Jesus, the, the tree, uh, but also the foundation. Uh, Jesus is, claims to be the rock, uh, the redemption, the salvation, the rock that crushes. It's funny in Matthew 24, 44, we're almost done. Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Jesus said this in Matthew, later on we're gonna read this, where Jesus kind of makes two cases. You're either gonna be broken before the rock and make him your foundation, or you'll be crushed by the rock and he will be your doom. And Jesus says it's true. So the rock, Jesus, is gonna be one way or the other for you. And the question is your position. You'll either be broken before him or crushed by him. And, and I'd rather do what this says, build my house upon the rock. When the winds come and the rains come, man, it's gonna last. Um, you know, Christians, non-believers, uh, everybody's gonna have trouble. Do you remember how we saw this uh, last week? Uh, Matthew 5, 45, you know, the, the Lord's gonna rain 
uh, the, he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. So rain's coming up, floods coming down. You still need to be on the rock of Jesus Christ, your, your, your firm foundation. We end with just those last two words, uh, two verses, I should say. And this is where we kind of mentioned this earlier. Um, is there good fruit? How's this pastor, teacher? What's, what's the deal? And I love the way the crowd discerned. Look at verse 28. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Man, I love this. This is, this is the goal, I think, for, for us. Uh, the only way I know as a pastor to uh, be able to teach the Bible on a Wednesday night like this is for me to not give as much uh, my opinions or my thoughts, but just say, look what the Bible says. That's my goal. If you don't know that, that's my goal. It's not, wow, listen to what Brett has to say. I really hope that when we go away, we just kind of go, wow, look what Jesus told us here. Look what the word of God says. And hopefully it's helped, my job to help us connect the dots and see what the rest of the scriptures say and how it all ties together. Like to me, that's the fun part of what I get to do. But at the same time, um, I hope we always say, wow, look at the word of God. Um, this is the authority. And I think people, if you're careful and if you pray for discernment, whether you're listening to people online or blogs or, or video logs or, or podcasts or whatever, be careful today because there's very subtle teaching that's going on out there that I think it's more like the scribes and the Pharisees, but there's people not, not really discerning. I like how these people says, no, this is legit. Not like the scribes, not like the Pharisees, Jesus. This is the legit stuff right here. And I, I pray the Lord will give you wisdom, um, whether it's uh, listening to teachings online or coming to Athey Creek. You still gotta check and say, is that right? Is what that guy's saying true or false? Uh, may the Lord give us all wisdom in these days, in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord, as we finish up the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, we, we get a sense that we're barely even tapping into just the power and the truth that's tucked away in these scriptures. But Lord, how we pray that you'd give us wisdom to apply and Lord, to, to uh, meditate on your word, uh, Lord, day and night. Give your church, not just here at Athe, but your greater church, Lord, better discernment that we would identify false teaching and false motives and wrong things that are out there, Lord. It just seems like your word is so right to talk about how there'd be a famine of the hearing of the true word of God. We see that today. So Lord, shake the church up and wake us up. Lord, help us to be like the Bereans who, to, who search the scriptures daily to see if what was being said was true or false. So give us wisdom, Lord. I pray your blessing on these, your people, as we wrap it up this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.